You are listening to Get Real Podcast. Hey, man, what are you doing? Nothing. Just sitting on the dock of the bay, wasting time. You know why? I ain't got nothing to live for. Or nothing really matters. Help me, Glenn. Nothing Nothing really matters to me. Or uh, imagine all the people just living for today. There's no tomorrow. This is not going anywhere. Something called nihilism. Nihilism is the belief that all values are baseless and that nothing can be known or communicated. It is often associated with extreme pessimism and a radical skepticism that condemns existence. A true nihilist would believe in nothing, have no loyalties, no purpose other than perhaps an impulse to destroy. It's kind of a perfect narcissistic solitude to me. It sounds kind of like a fallen angel having an existential crisis. It's kind of this when you don't want to look, you don't want to regard, you don't want to regard the purpose and the order and the will of him. I've noticed in my life, and it's kind of weird, and in my 40s, it's kind of been one epiphany after another. Some of them pleasant, some of them ugh, rough. You kind of wish you'd taken the blue pill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and But it, it kind of heavy, and I noticed a pattern. And I like backing out of patterns. I like searching for antonyms. Like if you're like, okay, there's faith. What's the opposite of faith? There's life. What's the opposite of life? And you can you can back out and you can juxtaposition and, and there's there's you can find wisdom in that and, and when you're reading the word. And I've noticed that in almost every area where we can't really capture something, what is in outer space, the nature of the world around us the laws of physics and of gravity and of all these different things. It's, it's whenever I need the Royal smart person, I need the suit, the lab coat, the professor, the guy with the degree, the guy with the degree. I need the, the guy with the top secret clearance, you know, the adult in the room, supposedly we need that guy or that gal, right. To figure this out for me. But what I've noticed is that in the area of cosmology, anthropology, philosophy. You forgot one. What? Urology. <laughs> Sorry I can't, to break I the can't serious take moment. you anywhere. You, no, you can't. There. I'm trying to wax profound. Here I am, the fly on okay. the ointment. Good. Let me get some coffee. Okay. Trying to wax profound, and then all of a sudden, you just have to break. I know it. You know I have ADD, right? Right. Okay. Thanks yeah. for the I'll derailing. get you. I'll help get you back okay. on track. Okay. All right. I'll so, help get you back on philosophy, track. psychology, biology, anthropology, all these ologies, I'm having to lean on the the royal smart person to get the goods. It is I, the world's greatest smart person. <laughs> but what I've noticed is during the age, during the advent of mass media, Radio, television, newspapers, internet, social media, Twitter, Instagram. During this age, all of it seems to be taking me to the same place. If you look at what they all have in common, I always end up at the same exact place. I end up in front of a trough full of nihilism. If someone is teaching me about the atom and they tell me, well, you've got the protons and the the neutrons and the nucleus, and then outside the nucleus, you have this cloud of electrons. And did you know that you're, you're mostly space? You're mostly empty space. Really, someone ought to be able to walk right through you because you're mostly nothing. 
And I see this common denominator over and over and over again with cosmology. Okay, there's debate right now over things that really shouldn't be debate about. There's debate about whether the earth is flat or not. And that's not the purpose of this program. But if you think, oh, eye roll, laugh track, moron. um, No, there's some debatable issues with what we've been told by NASA and all of the other smart people. Right. Supposedly nihilistic cosmology. Did you know? Yeah, Glenn. Okay. Not only are you just mostly nothing, you're mostly empty space. You're on a planet that's tilted conveniently, wink, wink, at 66.6 degrees or 23.45, you know, if you want to read the small angle. But on the big angle, we're tilted at 66.6 degrees and we're spinning around the sun at 66,600 miles an hour, wink, wink. And we're spinning through the vast, endless depth of nothingness. So there is no up. There is no down. There is no uh, there is no heaven above us. You know, there's no, no hell beneath us. So you have this convergence of all of these different sciences. How did I get to the end of the dock? How did I get with nothing left to live for? Who brought me here? What trajectory? What 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 complicated network of vectors brought me to the end of that dock in hopelessness. And I get it. If Otis Redding left Georgia because of maybe he's singing about racial oppression, I get it. But all the other people that were like, yeah, man, I, I, I get that song. Why do I get that song? Why am I in front of this trough full of, it's just full of nihilism. And it's a common denominator in the age of mass media that I'm being brought to this nothingness. This pessimism, this, it's all nothing. When you know nothing matters, the universe is yours. And I've never met a universe that was into it. The universe is basically an animal. It grazes on the ordinary. Creates infinite idiots just to eat them. Nihilistic anthropology. Well, you, you, you're you just the offspring of a hominid. And, or, and, and then before then it was like some kind of creeping thing. And then before that it was probably a sliming slug. And before that you were just, you were merely an animated smudge, my friend. And you know that you're in this because in any of these areas of sciences, in quotes, if you were to say, I challenge that, they will horse laugh you. They will strip you of tenure. They will not give you a grant. You'll not get promoted. You'll be horse laughed just for going, you know what? Um, how come I can see a skyline 52 miles away and it should be hidden by the curvature of the earth? What? Just for asking that, you'll get horse laughed as a moron. If you ask and say, really, um, how in the world if somebody climbed out of a primordial soup or something, you know, the animated smudge, how did it find Mrs. Smudge? So two of them like came out and they're like, hey, you're pretty good looking. Oh, yeah, you're the finest smudge I've seen all week. Right? <laughs> What's your sign? Are you busy later? Can I buy you a drink? I found her on smudge.com. <laughs> Christian smudge. Um, but you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Everything is up. Everything's down. Nihilistic biology. That's not a baby. It's a tissue. That's not a baby. It, it's it's a parasite. And then they're talking young ladies, if you really want to express yourself, kill your baby. It's so empowering. Sweet for bitter, bitter for sweet, evil for good, good for evil, black, white, white, black. It's it's all insane. And in this age of mass media, nihilistic biology, once again, there is no gender or there's 56 or there's 56 times the power of 10. There's whatever slice of the pie. It's infinitely variable. It's completely fluid. There is nothing. You are nothing. You came from nothing. It is this thing that Glenn, we have been escorted on this trajectory. It is not something because we know from scripture when it comes to logos in the world, I may be missing one. You can somebody can email us. You can pitch in. I see it that there is reason. That means when the Bible says in the book of Romans, I believe it's chapter two, where it talks about that we can look and we're held without excuse because of the things that are made. We can understand the glory and the power and the Godhead 
and we can understand and receive some logos by looking at the sunset, looking at the ant, looking at a possum, looking at, at, at a field of corn. And also by hearing what our neighbor says, by reading a book, by reading Plato or Marcus Aurelius or, or anybody, you can, there's something, they were God's creation. He, he killed Christians. But you could still read and actually receive logos from a blind man because he's still part of the creation. Yes. So all of these different things in the modern age, I've made kind of a resolution that no matter how much shame it brings to me, if the royal smart people, the spokespeople, the experts, the experts, if they lead me and the end of their leading conveniently has me in front of a trough of nihilism, I am going to turn around and go, nope, going all the way back to square one, and I'm going to think and reason and read. Because there's primarily three. I started with one and then ADD um, kicked in. So one is through reason, through the creation. Number two is through conscience. We know that the law is written upon our hearts. We know that the Holy Ghost moves upon our conscience. He reveals himself to us. And then number three, directly by the blessing of being able to examine, read, study, memorize, and learn the word of God. And there may be more than that. I don't think so. I see those three things. So when I look at it, man, I've been escorted somewhere that I didn't intend on being here. I didn't intend in embracing hopelessness. And what it does is when you're at the end of the dock of the bay, you're watching the tide go in and the tide go out. It's not accomplishing anything. It's just, I'm just here killing time. I got nothing to live for. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be dust and the, wor- the worms are going to feed on me. It's, it's all over. It's going nowhere. There is nothing. It makes me malleable. Hey, want some heroin? Yeah, why not? You want some porn? Why not? Why should I respect what is love anyway? It's all just hormones. Music is all just a bunch of frequencies. We're mammals that are being strangely moved by a different combination of strange frequencies and entertainment. It's flashing lights and colors and pixels and, and a certain wavelengths and spectrum. It's all just testosterone and estrogen and oxytocin and serotonin and dopamine. And, and, and if you notice, if you take what they've sold you, you feed on that trough. Eventually, through that malleability, you're going to start ingesting perhaps drugs. You're going to get a, maybe addicted to something, addicted to pornography, addicted to loose sexuality. And what happens? You end up on kind of a plateau of nihilism. When, when somebody depletes their dopamine and they fire all their guns at once in their brain with meth over and over and over again... Used to, if if you uh, went out a, on a date with a beautiful girl, that would be exciting. If you um, pet your favorite dog or cat, it'd be like you feel this flood of, of, of joy. If you gave your, your grandmama a hug or you got a present on Christmas, no, they're just all, it's, it's all black and white. All the color has been bled out. All of the essence of life is now this sort of gray gruel. It's just this thinly spread revolting pate right it's it's just <laughs> ugh, on on a cracker yeah. you know it's it's not something appetizing the the essence of life itself has been drained out and i looked at it of going like everything we've been taught glenn half of the entertainment that's out there it leads us to this bleakness psychology nietzsche if you read nietzsche that's it was just all about nihilism enough about nihilism because it's pointless anyway <laughs> that was a good one. Ooh, faster that, than Jackie Chan. That, wow. <laughs> that was a good one. Okay. Well, I, that was just the intro. What I want to talk about is I really believe something, Glenn. Nihilism is the unfear of the Lord. Yes, that is true. Continue, my friend. It's the unfear of the Lord. Yeah. We're sitting here and like a good detective. If you're trying to crack a case... And you're like, oh, let's let's go in here. Let's look at all these grisly photos and let's try ugh, to use our empathy to be able to get inside the head of a psycho killer. That doesn't sound like fun to me. That, that takes a special sort of person, right? Well, nihilism is kind of like doing that with the angel formerly known as Lucifer. 
and he gets into this mode where he wants to, it to be, he wants to escape. It's the ultimate escapism. It's the deserted island of pure narcissism. It is someone that is sitting there. When you all of a sudden get rid of all purpose, all design, all loyalty, all family, guess what? You're the only guy in the room. You've now become Lord of all in your own mind. You mm-hmm. now have become the almighty one in your, in your, you created a universe, no matter how ridiculous it is. It becomes kind of this opiated escape zone, right? And now it's amazing because if you push back against nihilistic biology, no, it's, it's a, that's a baby. Oh, you know, it's, it's crazy. Or if you're yeah. like, no, um, I believe there is a good or an evil. There is right. ma- male and female. I believe that there are absolute truths. Yes. Yes. And what, what do we talk about? The postmodernistic squish? Yeah. You know, it's like it's out there and people are demanding it. What's amazing, though, is people aren't aware. Even Christians aren't aware by we've been conditioned for this. And a lot of it, it does reek of Luciferianism. The whole obsession with dissolving any difference between the genders. That's kind of baphometish. It's a little strange. Very strange. It's very yeah. strange. And and there's there's a whole lot here, but now we're gonna talk about the scariest thing in the world. Okay. That was the intro. I want you to have that foundation of the unfear of the Lord. And now I want you, and if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian, I want you to contemplate and reason with me. Reason with me. Think about the most unsettling, most terrifying, psychologically disturbing thing in the world. You're like, maybe you saw the Saw movies. Okay. Chucky. (laughs) Chucky. (laughs) I'm not sure if that's comedy or or terror. I guess maybe for a little kid. For a little kid, that'd be scary. Um, But you... (laughs) My electric bill. <laughs> oh, yeah. That. <laughs> Terrifying. Oh, yeah. You know, well, think about it. I just, no, no, I want to sit at the dock of the bay and not think about my bills sometimes. I don't want to deal with it. It's avoidance. Mm-hmm. It is avoidance. It is. The unfear of the Lord. He's not there. My bills aren't there. I'm not going to deal with it. The unfear of the Lord, the scariest thing in the world. Well, what I did, I did a little bit of research. And I started examining ideologies. Mm-hmm. I looked up lists for the movies that were considered the, the scariest things in the world. I thought about ghost stories. I thought about universal trends, like what Rudolph Otto considers uh, numinous dread. It's a universal phenomenon in every culture. You could be a, a big, huge Maasai warrior that in order to become a man, you got to kill a lion with your spear, right? But if all of a sudden you thought that you saw a ghost of one of your ancestors, you would shriek like a a small child or bow down. You would be overcome by numinous dread. There's never been a naturally occurring culture on the earth that has been devoid of that phenomenon. That's because the emotion of fear and the reaction of fear is something that God has knit in all of us. Absolutely. And that's why a lot of people like to go see horror movies, Sam's Chucky maybe, because that (laughs) that is more of a comedy, because there's this longing to fear. There's this desire to fear that has been innately put in them. So they'll go because they know when they leave the movie theater, it's over. They get the dopamine rush from the fear. They get that because that's what God knit into us. But when they leave, it's over and it's just back to, hey, what do you want for dinner tonight? Exactly. And no matter how terrifying that event was, it remains what I would refer to as perhaps two-dimensional because you go in there, you're dealing with it on one level, but you get to leave. You get to escape it. You get that rush. You have choice. You have choice. Listen to this. Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 18.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. Matthew 10.28, and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So it goes on and on. The Bible's got much to say about the fear of the Lord. Here's... 
what I'm getting at. The scariest thing in the world, according to what I've researched and looked at, when I first got saved and I started reading the Bible, I was like, you know what? There's some pretty unsettling things here. As I continued in my walk with God and started really getting into it, studying, I looked and I said, you know what? Some of the most terrifying and unsettling concepts in the world are in this book. I now, after however many decades of being in the faith, now I look at it and Glenn, there's not a close second. No. And go ahead. No. Go back to Matthew. Read that about hell. Matthew 10, 28. Mm -hmm. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And that is one of the things that people try to avoid in their mind and try to purposely ignore, especially in the modern church today, because the concept of hell is absolutely terrifying because it exemplifies the holiness of God because we are fallen and because he is holy, not by anything that we have even done, but just our very nature of existence. We deserve hell. It's unsettling. It's very unsettling. So a lot of people and a lot of theologians are like, well, maybe hell's just this dark void where there's, you know, you're just away from the presence of God. But it talks very much deeper about that. And that is a very scary and unsettling thing. And the way that a lot of people try to deal with it is like, well, that can't be true. And you hear it so often. Well, how can a loving God send anybody to hell? Yes. And I want to talk about that. There's three things that I think that somebody can do when they encounter the word. Because let's face it, Glenn, it's the scariest thing. The concepts that are with, these are like three-dimensional. They're not just two-dimensional. Like I started looking through the ideologies, religious practices, horrible tragedies. Just It was kind of grim. But you think about sacrifices to Molech. They got Mm -hmm. drums they're beating to drown out the cries of the infants. They're burning children. I mean, it's horrifying. Mm -hmm. You think about what the Mayans and Aztecs did with an obsidian blade to take the heart of a victim out while it's still beating and show it to the horrified victim. You could go with the Druids. You could go, I mean, just it's chock full, chock full of nuts. <laughs> We're drinking chock full of nuts. Thank you. But it's, <laughs> but it, it's the, the, the human condition, the human race is so chock full of just gore and bloodiness and, and just horrible things. But none of that even scratches the surface. When you begin looking at the scripture, for me, the scripture is maybe 70 to 80% scary tedious, not built for entertainment. It's straight, no chaser. It's like getting punched in the gut. And I think for Christians, if you stop and really sober yourself up, shake off your religiosity, and I'm not saying that in a critical way. I'm just saying we've all been in, if, if you've been in the faith for 20 years, if you're a pastor, if you we got whatever going on, I think it's healthy sometimes to shake it all off and to sit yourself in the cheap seats. You know, we somehow always, you know, ask yourself, Am I the protagonist or the, the, the antagonist in this narrative? Am I like the good guy? You know, we're always like, yeah, man, I'm MacGyver. I'm going to save the day. I'm Magnum P.I. <laughs> I mean, you can tell when I grew up. Yeah, you know, I'm the, I'm the hero. I'm, I'm, but what if I'm not? I go back into the Old Testament and you look at it and you're like, I, I'm not that special, right? When I look and there's different verses, think about there was one particular second. The Bible describes this, and you have to deal with this. When it says at one particular second, one particular minute, one particular year, God broke the fountains of the deep up and killed every man, woman, child, infant, save for eight souls. I derive no pleasure from those words at all. They punch me in my soul. They knock the wind out of me. They scare me. They turn me upside down. But the interesting thing is, Glenn, it's not told to us in a um, fanciful manner, like the Epic of Gilgamesh. Mm -hmm. Some people say, oh, the Epic of Gilgamesh outdates the Genesis account. It's nonsense. The Epic of Gilgamesh, well, the gods thought humans were too noisy, so they built this big cube. 
It's like, yeah, I'll stick with the one that talks about gopher wood with pitch applied on each side. Right. It's very, it's very nuanced. The the narrative is very technical. It's got it's got the cadence of yeah, this is true, horrifying but true. And then the Holy Ghost comes along and comforts me that I'm like, there's nothing pleasurable about this. There's nothing seeker sensitive in this at all. And I come to it and I'm like, God, it feels like you just kicked me in the stomach. And then the Holy Ghost comforts me and draws me with his goodness towards looking, hopefully, and I'm going further. And I accept that narrative. That's what the Bible is. Glenn, um, where do we go? Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's wife. Yeah, she looked back. She looked back. Boom, gets turned into pillar a, a pillar of salt. Yep. And people are like, well, that's just allegory, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, it doesn't say it that way. Well, even in the New Testament, you have Ananias and Sapphira struck dead. Yes, yes. For lying. And you're like sitting there, okay, what if, like, take all of your Christian heritage out of your mind for a moment and imagine that God speaks to you and says, I want you to take your son and take him to the mountain in Moriah that I'm going to show to you, and I want you to offer him as a burnt offering to me. Okay, let that shake you. As Christians, we're like, yeah, that's a beautiful story. I mean, we'll tear up about it. But what about the first part of us going like, what? What did Abraham do? Yeah, what if God said that to you? Right. And and so I unchurch myself in a sense, and I listen to that like it was for the first time, and I get in my my little, you know, empathy wagon or whatever, and I'm going like, Holy smokes. That's that's scary. It's brutal. It's savage. It's without chaser. It's without there's not a um and there's a lot of people in Christendom that feel that God has called them as self-appointed um remarketers. And they're self-appointed tone police. So if you talk about the scary stuff, they're the people that are going to put the big mural in the nursery with all the happy animals waving and yeah. and Noah the happy guy with the beard. And I get why that happens in nurseries. Every ministry I've ever been a part of has that on the nursery wall. <laughs> yeah. I'm not condemning you if you have that. If I was in ministry, I don't think I would allow that in, in a, a church. But I get it. The people that are breaking the word are not the ones in there tending to the kids. And I understand. I want to stencil in bloated and, dead and, bodies. Yeah, but. We, we wouldn't do that, though, really, the bloated dead bodies. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not trying to freak out the, the kids. Maybe the high school ministry would do the bloated dead there bodies. We go. There we go. There we go. There we go. You know what I'm talking about. I totally understand the care of infants and toddlers and them understanding and being drawn into the word. You don't need to traumatize them in an unduly manner at the same time. The scripture is like, here you go. This is what happened. This date, this time, this is who survived. And that shakes me. So I want to talk about trembling. You bring up an interesting point because when I was growing up, I had a illustrated children's Bible. It wasn't a thin one, but it was a very thick one. And the illustrations in it were very real, gritty art pictures. They were not, you know. Was it like the ones in the dentist office? You know what I'm yes, talking about? Yes, I know the ones. Yeah, the, okay. those ones. Probably actually the same ones that had the thick cover to yeah. it, the mm-hmm. hard cover to it. And I remember looking at some of those pictures as a young man, just being absolutely perplexed at what I was looking at. And there was a bit of fear that was struck in my heart when I looked at those, hmm. that this stuff is different. This is real. And there was a fear that I had. And I really believe that some of those pictures in that art that was a little bit more realistic than Noah on the ark, just smiling and Abraham being all smiley going up the mountain, you know, with with his son. It it struck a fear in me. And I think God used that to over the many, 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 many years just sow the seed to draw me to salvation. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge. So there was a reason that we're talking about this. There was a reason that God made Whatever percentage, I'm just going to say 80, okay? God made 80% of the word brutal, terrifying, scary, straight, no chaser for a reason. Because the fear of the Lord is critical for you to be able to receive wisdom, for you to be able to, to, to be drawn to him. It's very important. And a lot of the church in the modern day has an argument with that. We know, listen, everybody's probably been exposed to the weirdo guy that's like, stands on a street corner. I'm not, I'm not coming against outdoor ministry, whatever you want to do. But if somebody's like, you whore, you need to, you know, and they sound just like this horrible demonic 
you know, whatever. They probably are. Then that that's probably is demonic. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, a Westboro Baptist Church. God hates all these people. Yeah. That's not God. No, it's okay? not. Okay, we know that what he's talking about is love. And love motivates even the apparent austerity of his holiness. He's loving you, warning you, talking to you. And there's a lot of self-appointed people that think, no, it's got to be laced with entertainment. It's got to be, you have to put a chaser on it. You And I want to talk about that. Number one, trembling. It's like what we're talking about. Christian or non-Christian, read the Bible. Let it just do its work. Read it. Tremble on it. You're going to have a temptation to jump towards some anthropomorphic reaction where you're going to try to reshape God in the image of a man or woman and, and make him think and feel and do as you please. I sit there and go, oh, man, eight people? How about 800 million? We, we could have a, a, a network, a cell group of, of boat builders, you know? We could have this whole network of boat builders and we could have a convoy of boats and 800 million people could survive the great deluge. And I don't know, there could have been reasons for that austerity was contaminated bloodlines with Nephilim, mm-hmm. right? But we do know that God is holy and he does what a holy God wants to do. And that's not necessarily what you or I or anybody else would do, you know? No. So, Glenn, you would think, everybody's like, well, yeah, the Old Testament is full of some scary stuff. It gets, oh, it, it is, It yes. gets worse in the New Testament, brother. Just want to inject something here for a second that was just quickened to me. When you diminish the holiness of God, which is terrifying, but it's beautiful at the same time, it's this weird mixture of beauty and terror all wrapped up into one. When you diminish that, that is actually nihilistic. In a way. Yes. Because what you're doing is you're saying, okay, well, then there is no sense to preaching the gospel. Why bother? Yes. Why why bother with the gospel? Who who cares where you're gonna go when you die? It's it doesn't matter. God's just all love and it's all it's all good. It's all gonna work itself out in the end. It's a nihilistic approach. Then the Great Commission no longer is the Great Commission. It's just whatever. It almost seems like um an unemployed defeated fallen angel was not looking forward to his future and it's laced with hopelessness it reeks of that well you were talking just a few minutes ago about how all of this is through mass media how what the media leads us to well you have to remember who is the prince and the power of the air yes and the majority of media is through the air yes and really if you think about it right now out of god's mercy this is a mystery to me and i can't fully explain it but out of God's mercy, God has given Satan free reign over the earth right now. Sorry, Satanists, it's not because Satan defeated God. It's out of God's mercy that he's running rampant through the earth right now because his time is short. There is an impending doom for the angel formerly known as Lucifer, and he wants to take as many with him. And for him, there is no end game. It's over. There's nothing. Game over. Yeah. Well, the most terrifying thing in the world, think about it, Glenn. That verse where Christ was warning people that he loved about don't fear him that can just kill your body. Fear him that after it's done, there is a second death. There is something else to be feared. That's the king of all fears. Right here in in Romans chapter 9, listen to this. But indeed, O man... Who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. People go nuts over this. And it's even a prediction right here. He's saying like, hey, listen, are you going to you're going to react to this? As soon as you hear that, whoa, there's vessels of mercy and vessels of wrath. There's something about election and choosing, which I don't claim to understand all the mysteries of that. But I have to stand right under this. Right. And God is talking about this and choosing, and I rose Pharaoh up to, you know, to show this and to do that, and I, and I hardened his heart, and I did all these different things, and you're like, whoa! Everything wants to jump up and say that's not fair. 
Do you feel it? I do. Yeah. That's not fair, God, that you killed little babies in the Great Deluge. It's not fair. It's not fair. And he's saying, who are you, lump of clay, to yeah. jump up on the potter's wheel and say, yeah, excuse me, Lord. You know, let's have a sit down, chinwag. Just want to go over a couple of things. We've focus grouped this on both coasts, and we're really kind of missing it. We want to make this relevant. Relevant. relevant you know, yeah. it, it needs some relevancy. And when it's like we think we could m- maybe do, you know, a little bit of a different narrative and it's like, nope, God didn't ask for your branding help. He didn't need a tone sheriff. He didn't need to do that. So it's amazing to me that God has turned the whole world upside down with a gospel that is terrifying, that is offensive, that is not really very entertaining. That can be parts of it are informative, but tedious. It's I when you're reading in Jehoshaphat uh, begat such and such, and then he di- it just it's here's the information, and it's not designed to flatter, to draw in, to do these things, but he's given you the straight up truth in love. Listener aid here. Going back to the nihilism and just diminishing the holiness of God, diminishing the fear of God. We talked about no need for the gospel. Let's 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 go back and peel it back just a little bit more. No holiness, no fear, no wrath of God. If that was the case, there would be no need for the cross. Exactly. And that's what Satan is trying to get people with all of these ologies to believe and leading them to the trough of that, wait a minute, it's all it's all worth nothing and don't fear anything. It doesn't matter. So there was no need for the cross. And that is what you hear a lot today of people that purport themselves to be Christians. It is a crossless salvationless whatever pseudo gospel that they're that that's being presented because who cares no need for it yes no need for it but there is need for it because he is holy yes and there's the need for that fear what we need to do when we come in contact with the word it's very important whether you're a christian or not a christian that in respect you allow the word to do its work in you and you tremble you sit there and you consider the sky and the sunset and the ocean and the the wind and the rain and the ant and a dog and and babies being born and and just creation and you tremble at the word and the possibility that there is the author of life there is the author of these things around me and you don't just out of programming and out of nihilism you laugh off the fact that paintings don't paint themselves buildings don't crawl out of the sludge nor do eyeballs just kind of happen You look at the design, you look at the word, and then you tremble. And then when you read a word that is other than you, it's a weird phraseology, but it's other than you. It's previous to you. It's intrinsically true. It was here before you. It comes from around the other side. There is a trembling. And the nihilist doctrines that you've been infused with and basted with in your whole lifetime want you to laugh it off. Yeah, big boat. Yeah, this and that. Oh, and God's going to kill everybody. He's going to roast people forever and ever and ever. And then anthropomorphically, you're going to rise up in judgment against the Almighty. No, ours is to tremble. Mm -hmm. So do I think parts of it just, I'm like, that can't be true. I mean, listen, I'm a Christian. I sit there and go, oh God, I don't want to think about it. Um, When he talks about uh, not everybody that comes and says, Lord, Lord, not everybody. Broadway to destruction. Broadway to destruction, that it's narrow, and few there be that find it. Jesus, I wish you didn't say that, right? Right. Am I I speaking truth here? These are the things that people, because of fear or lack of faith, we don't talk about this very much because we're afraid we're going to make somebody stumble. No, no. We need the comfort of the Holy Ghost. I think a lot of times we read about that role of the Holy Spirit and we think, oh, he's comforting us from hard times and from persecution. And yes, and amen. I think a lot of it has to do with just even being able to receive the hot coals off the altar of the Word. That's a good point. Oh, wow. We need his comfort. And Glenn, that's what happens. If I just read the Word and I was like, and the whole, the id and the pleasure principle and the whole, I, you know, I find no pleasure in that. Who would stop there? Who would who would feed off the trough of the Holy Bible when it's like, whoa, 
austere and burning forever. And it's so that's what I want to talk about. These three different reactions, one being trembling, which we've talked about. Number two, rejecting. And number three, the most dangerous thing in the world I would consider to be vandalism. So number one, you hear the word, it punches you in the gut and you go like, oh God, I I don't, I don't, I just stand beneath that. I'm like, whoa, you you killed everybody. A few are going to get saved. I don't know how this works, but I want to bow the knee. And there is a compassion in that brutality. Let's use that word. I'm not trying to make it inappropriate. I'm not trying to criticize God, but in the, the, what almost seems to our flesh to be a brutal, too straight, too austere method, his wisdom in that is that is truly compassionate. If somebody is like pleading with somebody that, no, you don't have to die. They're not going to be like, you come out and your doctor, your oncologist knows that you have aggressive pancreatic cancer. And he comes out and he's like, how you doing, buddy? And he gives you like a, a gift certificate to Starbucks and tells you three jokes and doesn't give you the goods. There's a problem. There's a problem in that. There's a huge problem in that. So the fact that the Bible doesn't do that, it doesn't flatter you with with some sort of gallows humor. It cuts straight and says, you are in a dire predicament. It's a priority of a holy, loving God that the predicament that you were born into is made very plain to you. And there are millions of teachers around the world that have a different cadence. They have a different nuance. They have, it's like, oh, God speaks this way. He's just going to bless your socks off. And he, it's all soft. It's all this. It's all that. So if you love somebody, you're going to tell them a joke when they have cancer. You're not going to show them the scan. You're not going to point and go right there, son of Adam. See that fallen, disgusting, piggish heart right there? See Here, look, we're going to scan you with the Ten Commandments. Right? right? And then you're going to see something, and, and hopefully you see that, whoa, I'm a sinner. And listen, flattery, marketing, does not bring the publican to staring at his shoes and be, beating his chest. See, the beauty of the word, the beauty of the temple system, the beauty of the law and the prophets doing their thorough work in an individual brings someone to the blessed occasion. Angels get ready to start singing. They're tuning up all sorts of lutes and cool things. They're going to go crazy, right? Because they're watching, they're watching, they're watching somebody say yes to wisdom himself, right? And it's this beautiful thing that God dials in by his drawing using reason, using the creation, using the the law and the heart, using the law being read and spoken and preached, and then the lights turn on. But it is so blinding. It it literally is. If you've ever been woken up and it's like somebody's got a flashlight in your face or you're like, what? What are you doing? But they're waking you up about danger. It's not pleasant. No, it's not. And so the whole... It's offensive. It's offensive. It's like, why are you disrupting my sleep? Why are you telling me things that bring me no pleasure, right? It it brings me no pleasure. So it's it's tremble at the word. Rejection. Let's talk about rejection because it's not the best thing you can do, right? You, You tremble, but it's better than vandalism. So let's say you hear the austerity of the word. Ah, you don't have an upbringing. You're like, what does the Bible say? And you read it and you're like, whoa. There's all this stuff in here. There's like heaven and damnation and sin and oh, yeah. I no don't, thanks. I don't yeah. feel good. So you, you know, you would be better off rejecting. And you're like, you know what? I'm gonna go and I'm gonna take up goat yoga, right? And I'm gonna. They're gonna have these cute little miniature goats that stand on your back when you're stretching and doing the praying dog or whatever they're doing, right? <laughs> Downward. Yeah, whatever dog or whatever that <laughs> I don't thing know is. No yoga. <laughs> but but and then the, I'm gonna hire a a, a yogi. And he's going to whisper sweet nothings of positivity in my ear. And I'm going to just surround myself with positive people. And I'm going to try not to look at the the lines in my face growing clearer like that Aerosmith song. I mean, I'm going to try not to think about, oh, did you hear about Fred and the pancreatic cancer? Or, oh, did you hear about what the forklift did to, to Bob? You know, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. And it's yeah. like you want to insulate yourself. You're going to use some some mystical ideology as an opiate. You're, you're going to do avoidance. And you're going to ohm, ohm and try to forget and try to forget and try to forget and try to run away from your own mortality. And then you're going to see that positive yogi. Oh man, he ripped me off on my billing. How dare you? And then all of a sudden you're going to be judgmental and you're going to come against that guy. And then it's almost like, whoa, I'm doing 
all that negative stuff. It's in me too. Mm-hmm. And then you could have, hopefully, the conviction and the moving of the Holy Ghost, the fear of death, and gradually you could be pulled out of that nihilistic impulse of avoidance, right? And you could be drawn back, but somebody had to give it to you, hopefully, lovingly, but straight without chaser. With wisdom, don't hear me that you just got to bang somebody over the head with the scripture. No, it needs, it needs to be the whole counsel in the timing, in the wisdom of God, would ha- how he would have it. But I think it's healthy for Christians to sit ourselves humbly in the cheap seats. To What I mean by that is like we're always so central to the narrative that we're, we never want to think about, whoa, what if I'm like the Philistine in this whole story? I used to read through Proverbs and anywhere it would say the fool, I would put my name there. And I'd read that and read that and go like, man, I don't want to be that. Oh, God, I want wisdom. I don't want to, I don't want to be that guy. Maybe that is me. And what it does is you sit there and you can re-tremble at the word. And then when I share with people the gospel or I share a testimony or if I'm trying to minister in whatever way, I tremble at that word. Just like the sinner hearing it for the first time of like, whoa, he only saved eight people off that boat. That's scary to me. God is bigger than me. He's smarter than me. He's everything more than me. He's other than me. I am a small, small part. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your sweet mercy. Oh, God. Right? And then I feel his presence in a completely different way after trembling. So you can tremble. You can reject. Number three, this is the most dangerous thing I think you can do in the world in, in the face of the scariest thing in the world. This is called vandalism. If you go to a museum and there's a bunch of people that are into art and they're admiring the Mona Lisa, I don't know if that's in a private collection or it's possibly in a museum. I don't know anything about it, but everybody's looking at it. Imagine if you walked up there and you're like, I took an eighth grade art class. There's something about her mouth and the nostrils, just mm, not quite right. I mean, he tried, but I'm going to go and I pull out a Sharpie and then you start fixing it. Those people, a riot would break out, right? Because you went and you had the chutzpah, the arrogance to mess with a masterpiece. You know, though, with what you're saying and with where society at is that that level of vandalism is more prevalent now than it would be. And you can see that in the way that somebody puts out a movie. Let's use Star Wars, Mm -hmm. for instance. You'll put out a Star Wars movie. And then you've got all the people that have no background in filmmaking or anything. And they're like, well, it's not supposed to be that way. And there are people that will bow out of the arts because they just get so tired of getting beaten down by people vandalizing what they put out, what was in them to put out. And we are now in an age, I believe, of vandalism. Oh, yeah. Well, think, Absolutely. Of, the, think of the comment system. Uh, have you ever, you, you can't go and see an artist that gets a lot of views like on YouTube without seeing all these negative thumbs down, no matter oh, what it is. No matter what, do yeah. Well, think about the, the blind guts, like the gaudiness of going up to the Mona Lisa and doing that. Imagine like if you're in some, uh, I don't know, medieval time and the king and people are like, my lord your grace and they're they're sitting there they knew that yeah when you talk to this king he can thumbs up you or his thumbs down or not like youtube that they're going to take your head off if you get out of line right now imagine like rollerblading in there with a fluorescent speedo <laughs> boombox playing rock lobster <laughs> and then talking to the king out of turn right yeah. there's a gaudiness there's an absolute inappropriate desecration of something authoritatively royal, kind of bigger than you, and you don't get it, that's being a vandal. And there's so many ministries, so many misguided blind people that have lifted themselves up off the potter's wheel and said, I shall tell you how thou shall form me. I'm going to question you, author of life. I'm going to question you. You need a marketing makeover. This is not trending well. Jesus, I'm glad you could come in. You know, you have a meeting with him, 3.30 at Starbucks. Jesus, you know, thank you for coming in. Help yourself to a Danish. Would you like a latte, right? And then you're going to sit there and you're going to go over with him and you're going to correct his marketing plan for the world. And you're going to let him know that this is too scary. That's too long. Oh, 
this chapter, Ixnay. No, this is not going to happen. So you're 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 rollerblading up to the king, and you're going to play Mr. Potato Head with his face. I think a baby shoe would make a better nose for Jesus. I mean, it it seems even me saying those things makes me nervous. I think he appreciates the clarity of it. And I'm like, you know what? Wow. You sit there and think. Think about what you're dealing with, struggling with, what you've dealt with in life, whether you're a believer or not a believer. Glenn, think about it. People struggle with lust, with envy, with love of money, with drug addiction, with drunkenness with anger, with marital problems, with this. And it's so in us to sit there and go, if God is love, why am I struggling? If God is love, why don't I have have more money in the bank? Why didn't I get the promotion? Why didn't all these things happen for me? And when he makes things and made you that lump of clay exactly how you are, everything's always Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. She's prettier than I am. She gets all the dates. She made the cheerleading squad. Why did God make me like this? I'm so ugly, right? Right. I'm, I'm fat. I can't lose weight. Why did God do this? Why am, or does people deal with all sorts of things? And they sit there, and when you tremble at his word and said, how can the lump of clay rise up and question the maker? And you bow down and you say, you find purpose in the chaos. You find purpose in the fallen world because it's redemptive, it's hopeful, it's going somewhere. This whole entire life is not even a blink of an eye. See, we sit here and judge God because he's in eternity and we're in this mortal, like just glimpse, this little puff, right? Vapor of vapors and it's gone. And we judge him, this eternal God, based off just this tiny speck of suffering or this things didn't work out according to our vain imagination. And it's got an unbelievable level of presumptuous sin to it. Think about the presumption. Vandalism. You do not want to change the gospel. The gospel, you could liken it, I think, biblically, as an anti-venom. In fact, Christ kind of does before mm-hmm. John 3:16 if you go right to the verses leading up to John 3:16 he begins talking about something that happened in the old testament fiery serpents painful venom biting children of israel in their rebellion and the typology obviously representing a fallen world we're dying we have sin in our veins and they had to look upon the brazen serpent lifted high upon the pole They had to look and live, saving faith. It's beautiful. The venom, the anti-venom, is very specific. And if you start messing with the antidote, for example, it's impossible to divorce venom, the knowledge of the venom, from the anti-venom. So there's a lot of people that want to preach God's goodness and God's love and divorce it from sin, holiness, damnation, wrath. Right. Right? Yeah. And they want to divorce the two. Well, we preach a positive message at our church, (laughs) right? Right? Yeah, exactly. So then the Joel Osteens of the world, they get up there and they're like, you're never going to hear, fear not him that can kill the body. You're not going to hear that. The reason that you're not is because it's a false gospel. It is not the same. He has done the impossible and he's tried to divorce God's holiness, his wrath against sin, the dire predicament of the fallen sons of Adam. He's trying to get rid of all that and remake a gospel that is all positivity, that's all temporal blessing, that's all entertainment, but yet the rudiment of the word is like 80% brutal scary. Joel Osteen's rudiment is like 100% positive, or maybe he'll name drop sin occasionally. Just, Just garnish the plate for credibility. And that when you take the gospel and you change it and you transform it into what you think is going to be more palatable to a person's ear and to their liking, that is vandalism. That is what Dan is saying here. When you do that, you are taking, you are perverting the image of God. As a matter of fact, the age that we live in right now is very similar to the age when Jesus walked the earth and started ministering, when he said, you are a wicked and perverse generation. Mm. And what he was saying, yeah, we when we think of perversity, we think of sexual immorality, we think of all these things, but really what perversity is, 
is a distorted image of God and a distorted image of the truth. Yeah. So unfortunately today, the image of God has been distorted. So when we bring something out like this, and this is why we call it the Get Real Podcast, is we are going to get real. We want to be real about who God is. And the reason why we're doing this is we've had a revelation in our lives of God's holiness. You cannot fear the Lord truly until you have a revelation of God. Yeah. Isaiah chapter 6, when he saw God and the beauty of the holiness of, of heaven, the first thing that Isaiah said was not like, hey, God, gee, thanks for letting me in here. This is a really cool revelation. Let's hang out and you know, walk in the Garden of Eden. He said, no, I am a man of unclean lips and I am undone. You yeah. see where you stand. And that is getting real with God. And for our listeners, if you have not done this, the Bible says, and this is something that I think both you and I have walked through, Dan, is working out your salvation with fear and, and trembling. trembling. It is okay to do that. It is okay to question your salvation. Now, don't live there and become paranoid about it. Right. But it's okay to say, oh, am I really where I think I am? Seat yourself in the cheap seats. Exactly. And be like, why do I always have to be the protagonist? What if I'm the guy that is that is <laughs> not on the boat? Right? right. Right. That's a healthy thing to do. It is because it is your soul that is at stake. And that's what we're talking about. Let me take this a little bit further. Here's kind of a tragedy that I see, Glenn, because a lot of people get rolled in this life. That's kind of a surfing term. You know, you, you, you go over the falls, you just get tumbled, you get roughed up. And sadly, the more nihilistic society gets, the more disloyal, the more take advantage, dog eat dog, people get roughed up. People had rough childhoods. They were beat on, abused, molested, all these things. And the problem with that mistreatment is you have a whole multitude of people out there that it makes you kind of PTSD and it makes receiving hard truths about theology, about life, about yourself, about yourself. It makes it very difficult to receive because it's like if, if, if you adopt a pet that was abused and you just shut the door normally and the pet like cowers or, or pees on your rug, right? Or is shaking like a leaf. And it's like, oh, oh man, he, what? there's so many people like that. And I want you to hear this. Glenn and I aren't trying to beat you up or scare you or anything like that. God has such a massive reservoir of compassion. Even the scary stuff, it's all motivated by love. All of it was. Because if it was less scary and it was a little, it wouldn't get people's attention. He, he's ordained that through trembling, that through the fear of God, through bending the knee, through trembling at his word, you could you could come to the knowledge of the revelation. So it's it's very interesting to me, and it's a point of prayer and just a point of ministry, if you're listening, that I don't care how messed up or what your life's been like this. God wants you and he wants to comfort you. I can't imagine reading the word without the comfort of the Holy Spirit. When you read it, let it knock the wind out of you. When you read something that says that no fornicator, be not deceived. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is tough yeah. for current society yeah. where nihilistic impressions of sexuality that it doesn't mean anything. It's just it's just whatever. Plumbing. Just do what you want. Do what you feel. Just follow your pleasure principle. And then it says that, oh, that uh, be not deceived. Neither fornicators. You, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. And I shake. I'm like, whoa, uh, uh, uh. It stirs up the fear yeah. of God in me. Is that going to say that if you mess up, that God's not going to let you go to heaven? No, that's not what it's saying. It's the or, the fornicator, the ard, the drunk ard, that mm -hmm. that is where you live. That, that is, is your, your lifestyle. That's your idol. That's your lifestyle. Yeah. So for those of you that kind of choke on on holy things, it's all right. God's God's got his hounds after you. He's speaking to you. And the wonderful part is there are parts of the word that are so comforting and so beautiful in that in God's grace, in his living water where you can never thirst again, in his salvation, in these promises. it. But you have to understand the bad part to even receive the good part. It's not good news unless you know what the bad news is. Exactly. I mean, it's just that simple. The cross of Gee, Christ is yeah. foolishness. Gee, theology without. is really not that difficult. No, it's, it, is it? It's no. not. You know, and when you talk about the nihilism and when you talk about the fear of the Lord, really... 
the nihilist is not something new. This is something that's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. It's all, there's always been nihilist because, well, there's always been a fallen angel, a fallen Lucifer who is now Satan. And King Solomon even addressed the nihilist because I know that we have critics out there. We have critics that would say, well, the Bible talks in a nihilistic fashion in the book of Ecclesiastes where all is vanity, vanity of vanities. Vapor of vapors. Vapor of vapors. Well, you have to read the whole book to understand. It's only like listening to part of the song. It's like listening to a uh, an Ozzy Osbourne song. Oh, he's worshiping the devil. No, he talked about the devil. He didn't say he's worshiping it, but he talked about it. You got to listen to the rest of the song. Right. All right. So you have the whole book of Proverbs before you get to Ecclesiastes. And the whole book of Proverbs talk about how to walk in this fallen world in wisdom. And that wisdom is in the fear of the Lord. That's where that wisdom comes from. So it gives you all these great pearls of how to walk. And and the pearls that are in the book of Proverbs are all in riddles and rhymes and practical applications. It's a wonderful book. But then you get to the book of Ecclesiastes and it's like, well, all is vanity. All is vain. It's vapor of vapors. Why, Why the heck are we even bothering with this? Well, why would that be after the book of Proverbs where it says the beginning of the uh, wisdom is the fear of the Lord? Well, it's because Solomon is addressing the critic, the cynic, the nihilist. Because when you get to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, this is beautiful. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 resolves the whole thing. It says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Okay, here's the conclusion, everybody. Drum roll, please, Dan. Okay, the conclusion of the matter is fear God and heed his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Mm. That is our purpose. Mm. The purpose is in, hey, dude, that's in black and white, man. Okay, for God shall bring every work into judgment. That's scary. With every secret thing. All right, we don't have any secrets. God knows it all. So you who are doing things in the closet that you shouldn't be doing, God knows it. He's watching. Uh, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Mm. So that is the resolution of the matter. There has always been the nihilist. And unfortunately, nihilism, we've, we talked about this the other day, that the the church has been screaming about all this worldliness that's entered into the church and the stuff that they've been talking about being worldly is really kind of nonsense. But the biggest element of worldliness that has entered into the church is the nihilistic philosophy of, okay, well, yeah, God's really not that holy and we really don't need, you know, God's just good and whatever, everybody's going to make it. It's it's not a big deal. Yeah. That is the nihilism. Nihilism negates the com- greatness of the Great Commission. It negates the necessity of the cross. Yes. That is the purpose. Yes. So for our listeners in review, I encourage everybody to recognize and look at that if something in our culture, entertainment, songs, music, science, if it's leading you in a nihilistic direction, recognize it, back out of it, challenge it in your mind, whether it be astronomy, cosmology, psychology, urology, (laughs) urology, nihilistic urology. (laughs) And it's... uh, (laughs) Oh, I'm going to laugh about that one. But no, I would like nihilistic urology at three o'clock in the morning. Examine it. I don't, I don't, it's all in nothingness. Nothingness. So what am I saying? That E equals MC squared. Einstein married his cousin twice, right? (laughs) Am I going to believe what, what everybody in a lab coat tells me? No, I'm not going to be non-scientific or non-reasonable. But if you want to tell me the world is the way that it is, or the periodic table is exactly what it is or whatever, I'm going to sit there. And if you're trying to lead me into nothingness and it's all and they always do it with somebody with like velvety pipes or it's a richard dawkins or it's a a neil degrasse tyson or it's a a bill nye or it's somebody with some sort of special charisma that's going to let me know how big of a moron i am if i think it's a baby and not a parasitic bit of tissue they're going to let me know how much of how just stupid i am if i believe that i don't believe that i'm an animated smudge from an accident um, I, I'm sorry. I don't believe that I'm on this ball spinning in nothing at 66.6 degrees. I, I, I don't know what the truth is about Earth exactly. There's all these different areas, and I want to back out. You know what led me to some of this, Glenn? Was nutritional propaganda. You and I oh, have done a lot of talking yeah. about oh, no kidding. Yeah. Our whole life 
It's been a mass media experiment. Uh-huh. It you has know, been. That, that when our parents were young, they were telling them, well, Winston's are good for your T-cells. You know, I'm a doctor and I smoke, you know, they had all that going on. It wasn't any better when we were growing up. They're like, uh, fat will get you fat and, and sugar's perfectly safe for you. Go get sugar. some heart healthy grains. Yep. Sugar's a non-fat food. Yeah. <laughs> always Oreos. Always vegan. You know, it's like, um, yeah, not so much. No. Oh, and by the way, eggs and bacon will kill you dead. Red meat is bad butter no change it in for margarine try crisco it's an industrial byproduct it's an industrial by yeah have some chemicals people so i'm jaded and in my late 40s and i'm sitting there going like enough already the the smart people the lab coats the professors they have let us down and sadly the preachers be letting us down in most instances and i want to leave our listeners with this what we want you to do is to question yes question your preacher question your thinking question your friends because unfortunately because we live in such a screwed up perverted world most of what we believe has been a lie yeah it has. it's a giant lie but just because we've been lied to does not mean that there is not absolute truth yes there is and a lot of that will not be apparent to you and you will see through a glass darkly I, so yes. A lot of times I get frustrated because I'm like, God, why is this so opaque? Why can't I understand this or the ins and outs of it? And I have to get back in my place, get back in the cheap seats, <laughs> general admission. I could be that guy. It's like, God, <laughs> I, I, I want a backstage yeah. pass. Yeah, yeah, don't be Bob Euchre all the time. Hey, I'm hey, in, in the, the front, front row. row. I couldn't remember who that was. <laughs> Bob Euchre. Was, okay, yeah. No. I must be in the front row. <laughs> no. Nope. <laughs> so anyway, so we pray for you guys. And I just, uh, I hope that some of that made sense. That was kind of a gigantic meatball sandwich. It was, of it was, it was necessary. It was highly necessary because this is the Get Real podcast. And we can't come on here and just say, hey, you know, everything is cool. Everything is good. It's not, oh, everything is, everything's truth. No, it's not. And a lot of our listeners, they are seeking truth. And if you're seeking truth, that's a good thing. Question. Questioning is okay. There is nothing in the Bible that says you can't question. Yeah. Actually, it says, uh, it indicates the opposite. Yeah. You know, question it. Question, question authority. Yeah. Do that. And absolutely don't put on a fluorescent speedo and rollerblades. Oh, please don't. <laughs> please do not do that. Uniform of the day it is speedo fluorescent <laughs> carry carry boombox for our listeners that know uh, what we're, we're talking can about. Can we go out with I uh, break copyright to play rock lobster? <laughs> but it wasn't a rock. It was. It was. <laughs> hey, if any of our listeners want to talk to us about this a little bit more, you can reach us at lithoscry, L I T H O S C R Y at gmail.com. Dan, thank you for your insights on that. That was, I know that's been something that's been stirring in you for a while. And I've gathered from that and it really kind of helps me navigate the world that we're in and understand the situations that we're in with the fallenness and with the lie that's out there. And the fact that, yeah, we are living in an age of vandalism right now. Yeah, that's where we're at. Just say no to nihilistic urology. (laughs) For our listeners, peace out and rock on. Lithoscry.com.